Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is Tuesday. I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, with free agency and the start of the new league year just one month away, I wanted to do something of an off-season primer. We're going to look at five big questions the Dolphins answered in 2020 and pose five more for 2021. Plus, I'm snowed in back home in the Northwest. We'll talk some TV and welcome in my special guest, comedian Jim Florentine a lifelong Dolphins fan who has a hilarious story about a former Dolphins coach. All of that and more on this Tuesday, February the 16th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Pretty much the same time every year in the Pacific Northwest. And I should clarify this once again, that I'm from central slash eastern Washington, where the state is really divided by the Cascade Mountains and it creates two polarizing climates But pretty much every year, mid-February, central and eastern Washington catch the next version of Snowmageddon. The west side, as we call it, which is just Seattle. It's Seattle versus the rest of the state. Happened to catch this winter storm as well. And if you're ever in need of some funny videos to help pass the time, check out traffic cam videos in Seattle when it snows. It's a city built on a hill and the metro buses never shut down. So the hilarity kind of ensues there on those videos. So... Why do I open the show today with a geography lesson on a region that probably 85% of the audience has never even been to? Because when the annual snowmageddon happens, we don't leave the house. Sprinkle in a global pandemic and the first weekend of the year without football, we were bordering on a shining level of cabin fever this weekend. I mean, I had I was at WSU for a couple of years during the snowmageddon and it wiped out two weeks of school back-to-back year so you get an idea of of on-campus classes getting wiped out because of this annual snowstorm and did I mention it was the first week without football I will say there's something maybe a little bit stress relieving about that but also extremely boring without football on the weekend I'll tell you the shows I binge watched over the weekend at the end of this episode but having that time without football also kind of helps helps to get the juices flowing about the new league year. So I was thinking about some possible concepts, some series ideas, and I want to do a roster reset the next couple of weeks where we take a look at each position, review the 2020 season, then go ahead and look ahead at the offseason here and 2021 as a whole. But I wanted to do this primer first because I got to thinking, where were we at this time last year, a, a year ago at this time? We were a team that finished up on an upswing with five wins over the final nine games, winners of the final two, and that exclamation point to end the season up there in Foxborough. We were a team with a bunch of flexibility in terms of cap space and draft picks, and 2021 isn't all that different. More on that here in just a moment. But what were some of the biggest questions to the roster or the organization or maybe the coaching staff faced at this time in 2020? Here are the five that I came up with, five questions we had a year ago that we got pretty definitive answers on. The first one here, 
the franchise quarterback. And that term has always been one that I just don't really care for. I think it's it's a convenient way to describe a player or position or you know action in the game of football with a blanket statement that doesn't require context or any homework to explain the fine detail of what exactly Team X has at that spot. Every player is unique in their own way, and using one term to describe a handful of guys in a whole league just doesn't do it for me. But we know the Dolphins utilized the fifth pick in the draft on a quarterback in Tua Tungavailoa. We saw him get playing time when maybe that was kind of a big debate at this time last year. Would he redshirt the entire season because of the injury he had in November before that draft? I mean, still just a year and a half ago, he had that injury. We saw him throw touchdowns, move the offense, and most importantly, win football games. Six and three under Tungavailoa as a starter were the Dolphins this season. The first thing we need to hear, though, is the team's position on the 22-year-old quarterback. Uh, Tua, very happy with. You know, he's our starting quarterback. Uh, he did a nice job this year coming in uh, as a rookie with no offseason and, and the challenges of, of dealing with all that. And um, Very happy with him and uh, looking forward to watching him progress here over the next with an offseason here and going into next year. That, of course, the voice of Dolphins general manager Chris Greer But isn't it nice to go into a season without questions about the quarterback? Like from Tua, we saw the processing skills. I ran to a clip on Twitter where someone was breaking down the Los Angeles Rams defense, and they showed some clips from that game, which was, of course, Tua's first NFL start. And there was a play where the Rams, they show two deep safeties off the football. The Dolphins are in a bunch formation, which is where you get three guys bunched up on top of each other to kind of try to confuse the release and the coverage of the defense as guys break into certain elements of the route con. Concept with Gasicki as the one on the other side of the field in a three by one set, also known as trips. Three to the field or to the boundary is your trips, and your backside boundary receiver, Gasicki in this case, is the one. Now, the Rams drive on a pair of crossing routes from that bunch set, which includes a safety coming down over the top, which frees up Gasicki for a one on one situation. As that safety drives down on the crossing route, Tua flips his head that direction and airs one out up the sideline. The ball is located beautifully. Gasicki reaches out and makes the catch, but the defensive back is right in good position to punch his hands right through Gasicki's hands and forces the incompletion, a bang-bang play. The definition to me of good football when it comes to the competition, I, I can watch that stuff all day where... You can say the quarterback made a good throw, the receiver had a good route, got his hands on the football, but the defensive back just made a great play himself. One of those plays where every one of these incredible athletes is executing their job on a high level. That, to me, is peak football. We saw it on that play. But that play really exhibits to me a couple of things. The processing, like I mentioned, we saw that throughout the season, the ball coming out quickly on time before receivers had even gotten out of their initial break off the top of the stem and the ball greeting them right at their uh, assumed landmark when they turn around the balls on their chest, which is also a sign of the accuracy that we came to know and love throughout his time in college and the process of the draft last year. But what else do you see a lot of in today's game? Quarterbacks who can get off the spot, who can help make the call right when it's not at first. Like when the protection breaks down or a free rusher comes clean, we saw Tua making guys miss in tight spaces, extending plays, attacking the line of scrimmage as a passer and freeing up the defense to move pieces that way. Pretty much every successful quarterback in the NFL in 2021 can do that to some extent. And we'll just go ahead and make a disclaimer that Tom Brady is in another class of his own where general rules just don't apply to that guy after getting his seventh Lombardi trophy uh, last weekend. 
So you go into the offseason really in this kind of enviable position. We've seen other teams do this over the last couple of years where they have the young quarterback on the rookie contract and they start to kind of round out the team around him. You have an idea of that player's strengths after you've evaluated him for a year or two, how to complement those strengths, the type of people around him that can help him succeed and help the team ultimately succeed. I think you have your definitive answer about who the quarterback is and how they want to do as much as they can to make him successful here in Miami. That's your first answer. You didn't have it this time last year. Answer number two, the vision for the defensive scheme. I remember writing pieces in training camp talking about the versatility of this defense and what they offered with depth at all positions. And it made me confident they would take a massive leap, which went from the 32nd ranked scoring defense to the sixth ranked scoring defense in 2020 or 2020 rather from 2019. And they took that leap in the right direction, a massive leap, adding Emmanuel Ogba and Shaq Lawson helped rejuvenate the pass rush, getting Raekwon Davis helped the run defense up the middle. The linebacker additions meshed with the incumbents and a guy like Andrew Van Ginkle, one of those incumbents who develops from from a, you know, part-time player into a key cog. These guys all help give you waves of players that can do multiple things. And above all, and I think one of the more surprising gets and a very, very pleasant surprise was Byron Jones, who was by all intents and purposes the top defensive back on the market last season and arguably the best player on the market last season when it came to free agency as a whole. How would he integrate with the defense? Well, your answer, beautifully. It was awesome. We talked about this back in December when Brian Baldinger talked about the ability for Miami to lock down with he and X on the outside, and that gives you an opportunity to play aggressive defense up front. You sprinkle in Nick Needham, Eric Rowe, Bobby McCain, Brandon Jones, and the depth at that position, which of course in turn allows Flores and Josh Boyer to really crank things up and create pressure through their system and through the versatile rushers. So two big answers there with the quarterback and the defense. And the third answer is kind of into that answer as well, the pass rush. We covered it pretty well there, but over 40 sacks this season, constant pressure on quarterbacks that led to takeaways and huge plays, huge game-changing types of plays by the defense on the regular. I mean, you don't rack up 29 takeaways and lead the league in that category if you're not getting pressure on the quarterback. So we saw Emmanuel Ogba explode. We saw Shaq Lawson get his sack production, and Kyle Van Noy and Jerome Baker both set or match career highs in the sack department. And we saw Van Ginkle, again, go from that part-time player out of the fifth round in 2019, who started that season on IR to become a prominent fixture on this defense. And all of those guys we've talked about are scheduled to be back in 2021. The fourth answer, now there was a dearth for a number of years in terms of highly graded offensive linemen coming into the league to help combat all the strong pass rushers from those classes that were entering the NFL. Well, last year, and then again this year, you'll see something similar in 2021's draft class. The offensive tackle class pumped in a ton of talent into the NFL, and two particular here with the Miami Dolphins. Robert Hunt was just terrific at the end of the season. That's a tape that I've really enjoyed watching at the end, my end of the season evaluation. Just a mover of people, solid in pass protection, really good finish to the 2020 season. And then Austin Jackson bookends Hunt on the other side of the offensive line. As you look forward at two arrow up players, I mean, ages 21, 24, you saw growth in that rookie season. And you project that in addition to the young quarterback, you've got a pair of stalwarts at those positions that are so important along your offensive line. Fifth, definitively, I think you can point to the development of players taking the next step and be very encouraged about the program and coaching that guys receive here. Now, you can look back at 2019 and say there was a job done on several guys that really showed their worth relative to 
how they were acquired, whether it was a low-end free agent contract, a, a late draft pick, undrafted free agent. We saw it some in 2019. We saw it in spades in 2020. We mentioned Jackson and Hunt. We talked about Van Ginkle. What about Nick Needham? What about this year's Eric, the year that Eric Rowe and Bobby McCain both had at the safety position? I'm not going to rehash all of it. We have done that on this podcast, but Field Yates talked about this on Drive Time last week. Field Yates of ESPN. You just saw so much growth that has to really encourage you about having more cap flexibility again and another treasure trove of draft picks with four in the top 50 this year as Brian Flores and his staff get their grips on another crop of players. So those are five areas I think you entered 2020 with question marks at that you now have definitive answers on. So as we move into year three, what are some of the areas we can look at to improve and take those 10 wins to a higher total and get back to January football? Well, Brian Flores talks all the time about there being no such thing as a perfect game, areas you can always improve on. And one of the nicest parts about this exercise, as you'll see, is the growth this team enjoyed in 2020 is evident by these questions. We went from asking about who's going to be the guy at quarterback, how will Miami fill voids at both tackle positions in one offseason, how are they going to get more pass rush this year? Now the questions are centered around mostly building out depth, rounding out the roster and finding those final pieces that can help push you over the top, like what Chris Greer has to say about our first point right here. You know, Joe, we always talk about, you know, Brian and I and Brandon and and the scouts and coaches. um, Competition uh, makes everyone better. And we always talk about upgrading the roster in all areas. And uh, there's places that we want to upgrade all uh, parts of the roster. Uh, And obviously, uh, having playmakers on offense and defense uh, is what the great teams have, and, and we'll keep doing that here, trying to address uh, issues uh, on both sides of the ball. So playmakers on both sides of the football, right? Always a good thing to have that. We're going to focus on the offensive side here. First, the question about playmakers on that offensive side of the football. And you look at the construction of the current playmaker group on offense for Miami and how can you improve upon that by maybe adding different body types and play types like one of my favorite exercises is on the move the sticks podcast when Bucky and DJ talk about making your receiver core like a basketball team where you've got rebounders and separators it's about finding multiple ways to win that's a a idea we talk about both in general but also here a position by position case study can you put players on the field that can cause a matchup issue somewhere for the defense. We've covered this on the podcast with Field Yates, with Dane Brugler. I've talked about it a little bit myself. Man, these skill position groups, both in this year's draft and what is scheduled to be the free agency crop, that of course changes every year as teams re-sign players and guys get franchise tagged, all that fun stuff. But what is scheduled to be the free agent market to boot, it's a very impressive looking group. I'll be very curious to see how we answer the questions this time next year with regards to how the offense rounded into form at those skill spots. Second question I have is, it's again, back into that same mind of thinking, the running back position, what happens there? Because Miles Gaskin burst onto the scene, averaging nearly 100 yards from scrimmage per game. And among qualifying players, that was 11th best in the National Football League. He showed you outstanding patience and vision. He was a workhorse really from the the opening game in New England when we weren't quite sure how it was going to shake out with he and Jordan Howard, Matt Breida. Then Miles Gaskin winds up catching the hot hand 
and stays in the game because he's the most effective back at the time. And then he returns late in the season after that injury with a big game against the Raiders and once again gets back into that role of playing 75-80% of the offensive snaps. And that was a theme throughout the season, really regardless of who was at running back. A guy who carried the workload, whether it was Gaskin or his former college teammate, Savan Ahmed, at various points of the season. So how do Chris and Brian Flores want to address that position? What does Eric Studisville think is this team needs in the running back room in terms of the best vision of what he or the best version of what he wants to do at the position? You've got that same situation I mentioned in the playmakers bit. There are all kinds of attractive options as well as in-house candidates who fit that bill. Is it a committee? Is it a starter with a one-two punch type of back behind the starter? I cannot wait to find out the answer to that question and circle back to this in a year's time and find out how it played out. My third question for the upcoming season is the offensive line makeup and how they decide to attack that group. So we saw the investment into this year's group with Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, Solomon Kinley, Eric Flowers, Ted Karras, and the market improvements of the line really across the board from the 2019 season. But if they want to add pieces to this group because of how they built it from a versatility standpoint, you're now flexible in the positions you can address. Because if you want to add a tackle, Robert Hunt is cross-trained and has that flexibility to kick inside and play guard. Solomon Kinley played both guard spots last year. Eric Flowers' career has brought him to every damn position besides center. Jesse Davis has played everywhere, and he also cross-trained at center this season in training camp and, and throughout the course of the season. And so what I like about this is you can let the board fall to you really however it may, let the chips fall where they may, proverbially speaking, and still be in a position to do a best player available approach. Like say there's a guard and a tackle on the board that you love at the pick before, let's say Miami's first pick in the second round, which right now is projected to be at number 36. One of those guys goes off the board at 35. No big deal. Take the other one and adjust your roster accordingly because of that inherent flexibility. So the third question I have, how do they attack the makeup of the offensive line? Number four, defensive line, defensive football, front seven, depth, and the thumping linebacker and the pass rush. Where do they go and how do they bolster a group that was good in 2020? But again, remember, there's no such thing as a perfect game. How can we make it better? So Ogba and Lawson both eight snaps. They were productive. They were essential additions to the defense, but it would only be beneficial to have the opportunity to give them a breather, to add depth behind them, right? Because when Shaq Lawson misses some time, Andrew Van Ginkle steps up and plays very well, but the defense adjusts to fill that vacancy where you wind up going bigger at the defensive end position. You kick Zach Sealer or Christian Wilkins out wider, and you use Van Ginkle off that edge in his stand-up linebacker position to kind of fill the snaps lost from Shaq Lawson being injured for a game or two. And with the resources and developmental program, adding depth in behind Lawson and Ogba, and really just across the entire defensive line will only help things. But what a nice position to be in here with Lawson, Sealer, Wilkins, Davis, Ogba under contract and ready to roll again in 2021 with Jason Strobridge, Benito Jones, and some futures contracts players getting some playing time last season and developing at the end of the year and heading into the second season here for Strobridge and Benito Jones. And you can really say that about the linebacker group too, man. It, it sucked to see a Landon Roberts go down late in the season like he did. I'm really pulling for him for a fast, effective recovery. But at that linebacker spot, what happens there for the depth? It'll be interesting to see what they do to round out that front seven depth in general that was really bolstered last year, made big improvements last year. How do they not rest on their laurels? How do they infuse more talent into that group? Can't wait to see it, man. And fifth and finally, just the general tone of the offseason. Like, 
you know, we know Chris Greer and Brian Flores are going to keep the cards close to the chest and really hold their plan in tight. But what does the offseason look like from an aggressive standpoint? Are they going to go hard in free agency and sign a bunch of players? Will they kind of pull back this year and and, and sign their own guys and focus on the draft and, and do things that way? Will they be aggressive and acquiring more draft picks or will they be trading those draft picks to go up? Will they be trading those draft picks for veteran acquisitions like we've seen so many times before at the back end of the first round, like a Frank Clark trade, for instance? Will there be a veteran move that way or will they continue to stockpile the draft picks and put draft picks into future resources? How do things change in year three compared to what they were from an approach standpoint in year one and year two? Whatever it is, man, I just cannot wait to see it. We're almost there. This time of year kind of stinks for sports, especially for a non-basketball hockey fan like myself. I'll watch the finals, but just not that into the regular season for the NBA. This is kind of the dearth part of the calendar, and we're only one month away from the new league year, which to me, NFL offseason trumps everything besides the NFL season. All right, let's go ahead and move on to my guest for this Tuesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Fans of comedy out there will know who this guy is. If you watch any Comedy Central, you probably know who he is too. He is one of the main voices on the show Crank Yankers, does stand-up all over the country and plenty of other things as well. Lifelong Dolphins fan Jim Florentine joined me. Let's go ahead and get to my interview with Jim Florentine. And I'm thrilled to be joined now on the Drive Time Podcast by the host of the Everybody is Awful Except You podcast, a staple of hallmarks like Crank Yankers and the Opie and Anthony show, diehard Dolphins fan, comedian, Jim Florentine. Jim, welcome in, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I always love talking Dolphin stuff. I think you're my first celebrity Dolphins fan here on the podcast. And, you know, doing doing a little bit of, uh, of background, I saw that you were born in the New York area, moved to Fort Lauderdale, and then back... When did Dolphins fandom grip you? Because I know like that New York area really produces lots of Dolphins fans, but you went to South Florida. Was that when it happened for you? No, my uncle lived down in Fort Lauderdale and um, he was my godfather. And as a kid, he would always send up Dolphin stuff like stickers and pennants and uh, programs and stuff like that. And I just, I loved the colors as a kid and I got to know him that way. Just from that, that was before I moved to Florida you know, in my teen years. Now, when you talk about your golden era as a Dolphins fan, like I always refer back to certain eras, like I loved the Zach Thomas and Jason Taylor era. What was the era for you that really, really brought you into the Dolphins fandom? Well, you know, I, I was at some classic games at, at the Orange Bowl before they tore it down as a kid living down there. You know, it was, of course, the Marino years early, you know, but I was at, I was at the Mud Bowl game, against the Jets, A.J. Dewey, three interceptions. I was at the uh, playoff game against the Chargers, whatever, was it 41-38 with Kellen Winslow? Mm-hmm. I was at that game. I was at the championship game. The Dolphins-Steelers were my, uh, Marino was second year when they went to Super Bowl against the 49ers. They beat them like 45-28. I was at the Dolphin-Patriot uh, game, the championship game the next year when they got blown out like 44-24 and the Patriots went to the Super Bowl. So I was at some amazing games. I wanted to ask you because, you, you know, you mentioned going, being up in the New York area. Have you done the whole MetLife takeover experience? I, I don't, I've never, I go there every year when the Dolphins play the Jets, but I never met up with them. I don't know exactly where, to, I don't know those guys. Um, I always wanted to go. I know they have the bar in New York City that they go watch the games. I haven't done that with them yet either, but eventually I will catch up with them. I love what they do. I just haven't been over there. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of cool. It's they they always obviously didn't happen this year, but they always have some cool some cool meetup pregame and then a bunch of photos and the stuff. It's just it's become like it's taken on its own personality. And then of course when we've had success up there, the Dolphins you know wind up getting in victory formation late into the game, and then that's when the Dolphins fans really take over, and that's that's a lot of fun to watch. So I wanted to ask you this, Jim, because uh, you know I know about Daniel Tosh is a big Dolphins fan, and also in the comedy world, I know. Um, uh, Darius Rucker, big Dolphins fan, uh, Josh Gad. Uh, have have you ever had a chance to like meet up with fellow celebrity Dolphins fans and kind of mingle that way? And and what's that group like if you have? Um, I I don't I'm not too close with Tosh. I don't I think I met him once. I don't think we talked. I didn't know he was a Dolphin fan back then. But Darius Rucker, I met a couple times and we talked about the Dolphins. Um, I don't know Josh either, but uh, I'll tell you though. Know, you know, it's a weird story. Um, you know, my, I have a friend that works for the Dolphins and I was playing down in Miami doing a comedy show. This was probably three years ago. And he says, hey, man, I know you're a big Dolphin fan. I'm a fan of yours. If you want to come to practice, I could probably get you in. It was a Saturday practice. I said, yeah, we'd love to. I go there. Gase was the coach at the time. Was it, Yeah, it was his last year. And um, he just took a liking to me. And Gase was like, I was buddies with Gase for that final year <laughs> of the team. And he was awesome. Was uh, is your friend Chris Braun? Yeah, yeah, he's a great dude. I, I know he does stand up in the area as well. He's he's one of our video guys. He's awesome. Uh, yeah, Chris is great, and and uh, it was funny because you know I went over, I said something about the gays, and I made him laugh. He's like, I like this guy, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then I, I I remember that year because I went to the first three Dolphin games. It was they were playing the Raiders. They were two and zero, oh, and they were playing the Raiders. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to the game, whatever, like that. And then they were 3-0, and and Gase goes, here's my number. And then he texts me because they were playing New England. You remember that? They were playing New England, and they the offense with 3-0, oh, yeah. and the Patriots were 2-2. Two and two. So this was the point where the Dolphins could have overtaken the AFCs finally if they were going into New England. <laughs> and Gase texts me, goes, listen, man, you've been to all three games. We won. I need you to be at that New England game. You're good luck. Is there any way you can make it to New England? I'll take care of everything. I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, that's awesome. So me and my brother, my brother's a huge Dolphin fan too. Gase hooked us up. We watched the game from the sidelines. Yes, field passes. That's awesome. Field passes and watch the game from the sideline. Gase, but meanwhile, they got, you know, it was 31 nothing at halftime. We left after <laughs> yeah. the third quarter. I'm like, Gase definitely thinks I'm bad luck. I'm now <laughs> I'm gonna hide from him and all that. But it was really, really a nice gesture. We kept in touch most of the year and stuff. You know, unfortunately things went bad and all that. But um he was a cool dude. It was funny when he got the jet job, you know, he moves to New Jersey and I live in New Jersey, so we're only about 30 minutes apart. And he's like, Hey man, uh um, he goes, I, I'm a jet. He goes, I'm, you know, I'm the jet coach now. I don't know if we could still be friends anymore. I go, yeah, I don't know if I want to be friends with you anymore. <laughs> and then like two weeks later, he sends me like a compilation meal, a, a, a reel of Sam Donald uh, completing all these passes for touchdowns. He just texts it to me. He goes, you want to come over to the dark side? I just wrote back. Nope. <laughs> that is incredible what is, that's such a great story i mean because like you know i've got some friends that are jets fans and you always like ah oh, we can't be friends but like that's a whole other level he's the head coach of the new york jets and you're you know that's the team that you grew up despising more than anybody else that's that's perfect man we're gonna have to uh, we'll have to meet up when you come down next year uh, hopefully uh did you went to game did you go to games this year in 2020 i didn't go you know with yeah. the whole coronavirus yeah. um my brother went to a couple games i just I was like, I'll wait a year. You know, I'll, I'll definitely be going a bunch next year. Yeah, it'll be a good time for it. We'll have to meet up and, and maybe, uh, you know, get together at tailgate or something and, and say what's up to each other. I love going to games at that stadium. Yeah, that stadium awesome. was great. 
You know, they got a trailer out in the parking lot where you can go buy beer, which is awesome. You know what I mean? It's just a, just fun to get, get there like at 10 o'clock for a one o'clock game and just hang in the parking lot, throw a football around, drink some beers. I got a kid, so they go play those games outside. It's very kid-friendly and stuff. It's awesome. Especially in December when the weather's absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'm planning on hitting a bunch of games next year. But I'm really excited about this team. I'm real. I love that they, you know they got the four picks and first four out of fifty. They could trade back probably at that three slot, which is great. Who are they going to sign in free agency? I I, um, I love this team. Yeah, it's it's going to be exciting, man. I'm looking forward to it. what's. I know we got a long way to go for off season, but let's go ahead and finish with this. What is your you know year three things kind of coming together second year of the quarterback what's your uh 2021 dolphins prediction way too early I, prediction 11 and 5 i don't know if they win the division because you got the bills now but I, it's 11 and 5 maybe win the division and definitely at least win a playoff game uh, and i really think two is going to come into his own i really think with an off season many you know the guy didn't do he had to rehab his hip injury last year so he wasn't doing anything basically yeah, so for him to come in having a preseason, at least in mini camps and all that stuff, he's going to be a completely different quarterback next year. And I liked him this last past year. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think I think most of Dolphins Nation is as well with that and on the team and, and kind of the upward trajectory of this team. Jim Florentine, the host of the Everybody is Awful Except You podcast on Barstool Sports. Jim, appreciate your time today, man. We'll have to meet up at one of the games next year. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And away he goes. Something different here on the Drive Time Podcast, getting the celebrity Dolphins fan here on the show. Man, He we talked a lot off-air, too, about just Dolphins football over the years, and it was too long to put into a podcast. But that guy knows his Miami Dolphins. He's been a big fan of this team for a long, long time, as you heard him talk about going to all those games at the Orange Bowl, and now this year, or, or I guess modern day, with the Dolphins games at Hard Rock Stadium. Jim Florentine, check out his podcast. You guys know who he is, one of the better stand-ups of our time here. So that's going to bring our podcast to an end here on this Tuesday edition, but I did want to mention some television shows I binged over the weekend. Some good, some not good. I talked about Detroiters on the last podcast, I think it was. If you have heard of Tim Robinson or if you've heard of that show, go watch it because I had a friend explain it to me like this, like, Tim Robinson is one of those comedians that comes along every five or 10, maybe 15 years where he just has something different about him, like that it factor. And man, he has the direct line to my funny bone, man. That guy makes me laugh at everything he does. They have Detroiters, which is on the Comedy Central app, or I believe CBS All Access through the Prime app is how I watched it because there's no commercials, which uh, it's a big deal for me. Um, I Think You Should Leave on Netflix is a sketch comedy show that he created, and he's in pretty much all the sketches too. Just a, a different guy, different comedy. If you're into that kind of thing, you'll enjoy it. If you're not, you won't. So let me know what you think when you do check it out. Also, the characters on Netflix... He had an episode of that that he was on. It was, again, him in the entire episode, his weird brand of comedy. Now, there was a show that I watched that I, I found it to be popular based upon, like, you know, peer review, but I just can't get into it, man. Ted Lasso on Apple TV, it's a cool concept. It's basically the idea of Major League where the owner sells off all the players and hires a, you know, a has-been manager to come and try to ruin the Cleveland Indians. But in this instance, it is a... Premier League football team and they bring over an American football coach which I'm still having a hard time understanding how that would like even happen like I know obviously it's fiction but it 
that's a bridge kind of too far for me to suspend disbelief for in that instance. But of course, he starts to win the owner over and wins the club over. So I wouldn't recommend that one, but it's a pretty good background type of watch. So plenty of TV. Again, please hit me up because we're in that dearth right now where there's not much going on for a, a baseball and football fan as far as uh, sports television goes and up to the NCAA tournament. And then, of course, into free agency and the draft and the start of baseball season when everything gets back cranking again. All right, that's going to be my time on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review the show. Give me a follow on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.